Hello and welcome to another episode of the RN Mentor Podcast. We are kicking off this season, uh, season eight of the podcast, with uh, a couple of colleagues that I had over the summer uh, that we recorded a topic on human trafficking under the Nurse Vitals PRN podcast. podcast, uh, video podcast show. So I want to start this season off uh, with this specific topic on human trafficking. Uh, it really resonated, the topics really uh, uh, resonated with uh, with me and uh, how much nursing can really make an impact. And I wanted this show uh, to get a larger audience than what I have on Nurse Vitals PRN. Uh, and I wanted to share this under the RN Mentor podcast uh, show Uh, as uh, we have uh, a lot more listeners here, and I think it's an important topic that uh, nursing, again, can have an incredibly huge impact in uh, reducing and hopefully at some point eliminating human trafficking. Uh, so thank you very much for humoring me on uh, on bringing uh, a show that we, uh, we aired over the summer, and I'm hoping that more listeners tune in and hopefully... nursing can have a larger impact internationally. Thank you. You're listening to The RN Mentor, a podcast designed to document and bring you the work and experience of some of the most influential nurses in our profession. We will be sitting down and having a discussion with the leaders of today's nursing world as they share their work, how they navigate their nursing path, and their views on the future of the profession. My name is Ali Tayeb. I am a registered nurse, United States Navy veteran, a Jonas Veterans Healthcare Scholar, and your host for The RN Mentor. And welcome to a special episode of Nurse Vitals PRN, an RN Mentor podcast production show. I am very excited here to be joined by two colleagues, and I will introduce them both to you. We have uh, Dr. Francine Bononeri. Uh, she is a pediatric nurse practitioner, academic nurse educator, researcher, health policy advocate, and leader of numerous professional organizations. Dr. Bononeri served as a director at large on the board of directors for the American Nurses Association for the state of New York and is the immediate past president of the Long Island chapter of the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners. She was inducted as, a, as an associate member into the New York Academy of Medicine and as a nurse leader uh, into Sigma Theta Tau International Nursing Honor Society. Dr. Bononeri is the co-founder and president of Nurses United Against Human Trafficking, uh, PA, a professional association created for the sole purpose of abolishing modern-day slavery by educating, equipping, and empowering healthcare professionals. She is a published author and invited speaker on her research and advocacy efforts surrounding the topics of human trafficking 
and Infant Safe Sleep, S-U-I-D, and SIDS. And we also have uh, Tammy Tony Butler, a sex trafficking survivor and lived experience expert, and is the founder and president of Reflective Spaces Ministry, a faith-based nonprofit organization working directly with adults and adolescent survivors of human trafficking, sexual assault, and childhood adversity on their journey to becoming whole. As a nursing professional, Tammy survived, or my apologies, uh, Tammy served as an emergency department nurse for 30 years and currently uh, works as a forensic nurse examiner, sexual assault nurse examiner. She is a published author and a subject matter expert on human trafficking and trauma responsive care. She has publications featured in the National Library of Medicine and is an international speaker on human trafficking. My apologies, Tammy, I guess, but you did survive 30 some odd years as an ER nurse. That does require surviving. Uh, but That's I, what I was going to say. Yes, yes, that is correct. You spoke correctly. I was going to say, well, like, maybe I was correct. You did survive it. Uh, I didn't survive ER that long. I was there for a very short period. So thank you for being here. We are actually, we're going to be talking about a very serious topic. And, I, and I'm so appreciative of the fact that uh, you uh, reached out to me and say, hey, can we do a, a, a show on this, on human trafficking? Uh, because I am always, I try not to be surprised when I find nurses in different niches uh, when it comes to uh, like the healthcare continuum. Uh, but for some reason, human trafficking was not on my radar and I was surprised to find nurses doing the work that you're doing. So that's why I thought was, I was so compelled to say, yes, absolutely, let's do a show on this because we just don't hear about it and we don't cover it enough. Uh, so if you don't mind, we're going to uh, kick off and um, I'm going to ask you both and we'll start with uh, with uh, Tammy. If you don't mind sharing uh, how you decided that your work as a nurse was going to be inclusive of human trafficking, knowing that you're a survivor, uh, uh, but how did you decide that you're also going to be an advocate and work uh, to change uh, the um, the, the environment that actually uh, produces uh, this kind of uh, uh, issues? What a great uh, question. It was only when I wrote an article published in the National Library of Medicine on human trafficking and took a deep dive into it that I realized, oh, wow, that's what happened to me. I am a victim of human trafficking. And that was hard because that made me have to look at my mother as the trafficker. And, you know, she gave uh, men access to me, but I don't fault my mom. My mom had her own story, her own trauma, and she parented in survival mode as many uh, do. And I also uh, lost my dad to suicide. He was a, a Vietnam veteran, came back, wasn't the same. Uh, divorced my mom, became a police officer. And then on Father's Day, we buried him when I was around 15. Um, he had taken his own life. Also, uh, trauma. Trauma impacted my life, my whole family, and it even my choices of a career. I threw myself into being a uh, wounded uh, healer almost. I thought if I healed everybody else in the emergency room, I'd heal myself. And I became an ER nurse. I got caught up in the chaos and the drama. 
but it was only when I wrote that article and, and, and took that dive that a change began to happen in my own life. And uh, I'm a woman of faith and faith is what set me free from the chains that bound me from the uh, shame, the guilt, the fear, the regret from all of it, um, from being, you know, sexually assaulted in a sex slave uh, from around kindergarten or a little bit earlier on for many, many years. And so I, I started on this pathway. I, I spoke at the American Nurses Association General Assembly on Human Trafficking. I met uh, Fran there and then proceeded to form uh, co-founded uh, co Nurses United Against Human Trafficking, founded a Reflective Spaces Ministry and ANK Ranch Ministries to where I work directly with survivors on their journeys to heal. Uh, we deal with trauma. We, we deal with the aftermath of that spiritual attack, of that sexual assault uh, on more than just their body. And we put them on those pathways that they can succeed with Maslow's basic uh, hierarchy of, of needs with um, you know, we have a free food pantry, we have a tiny home little village. So we really just provide that wraparound uh, support and, uh, you know, through our uh, work there. Social reform, uh, survivor reform is a big part of the work. Also advocacy efforts that I do, uh, you know, I'm working on some key legislation, legislative initiatives in Washington, and just really recognizing that much like in the 1980s when HIV and AIDS came out and we knew that there was a population we were not serving and, and we didn't know what to do with this new attack that was coming against us even as a profession and we knew we had to act well you know we passed legislation legislative initiatives like the Ryan you know White Act and and we were able to bring HIV you know AIDS from a fatal condition to a chronic one because we as nurses acted and I know that we are there now with human trafficking with the child uh uh, uh, hood um, sexual assault with with the pornographic content and the sexual abuse material that's running rampant on social media platforms even. In fact, the Surgeon General just put out an advisory uh, this uh, last week uh, on social media and youth mental health and that is a, a public health emergency. Great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, and there's some things you, you touched on that I'm going to definitely come back on back back to. Uh, but um, now let's switch to Dr. Bonaneri. Um, how did you, I have a little bit of your backstory, but how did you decide like this was uh, something that you want to get involved with uh, and really uh, work uh, work for? Absolutely. Thank you. So I've been a nurse now for over 30 years, a very proud member of the nursing profession. And so it was in the fall of 2018, I was working as a clinical instructor for a university up north. And I was taking my nursing students who were currently enrolled in their pediatric course to their clinical rotation. And so being I'm a pediatric nurse practitioner, I'm very fluent in pediatric medicine population. And so I had taken my students and we were at this pretty large facility and we were on the floor and we got a call from the emergency room saying that there was a 16 year old who needed to be admitted with a very significant cellulitis. She needed IV antibiotic therapy. 
So I actually had assigned one of my students to be the helper to shadow the nurse who was taking the admission. And there were two other students who were not busy at the time. And so I said, come on, students, let's go into the room. This is a really great learning experience. You'll see the admission process. And so here is this 16 year old and she was in a very bad way, Molly. She had lice. She had numerous intertreginous infections, hovered in IV drug marks, significant, significant cellulitis to the left arm. And there's this older gentleman who's sitting with her. Now, I knew that there was no familial relationship there. And he was the complete opposite of how she presented. He was well-dressed, well-spoken, again, significantly older, definitely, I'd say, at least in his 30s. And I'm saying, but I don't understand the connection. So I went over to him very professionally, and I said, excuse me, sir, if you could just please tell me who you are, what your relationship is, you know, we're, we're taking the admission history, and, and we just want to understand the relationship. And he says, yeah, he says, I'm just a really good friend, and, and I'm just concerned about her health and well-being. And I'm thinking to myself, believe him <laughs> like you know as nurses we get like that gut punch or that spidey sense and I'm saying this is not right but you know I wasn't going to interrogate him and I just left it and I said okay thank you so much for answering our questions and so fast forward to June of 2019 I was serving as a director at large for the American Nurses Association for the state of New York and we were down in Washington DC for membership assembly and Tammy was one of the keynotes that were selected to speak. And so she's going on about human trafficking and the clinical presentation and the red flags and the signs and symptoms. And I felt like I was hit by a Mack truck because all of a sudden I had that patient in front of me. And I'm saying, how? How did I not know? I mean, at that time, I was already a nurse for like 26, 27 years. And I'm thinking... How is this possible? And so I was just so overwhelmed by that experience, recognizing that I failed as a mandatory reporter. And so I had gone up to the lobby just to get a breath of fresh air. And very fortuitously, I ran into Tammy in the lobby and I said, listen, I, I just need to talk to you for a minute. And so I literally, literally started to describe what I just said to you and she said, absolutely, she was being trafficked and her trafficker was sitting right there. And I handed her my business card and I said, listen, I, I don't know how to help you, but whatever I can do, I want to help you. And I swore I was going to do everything in my power to not let that happen to another colleague because anyone under the age of 18 it's a crime. It's human trafficking. Anyone who is involved in a commercial sex act who is under the age of 18 it is human trafficking and it falls under mandatory reporting guidelines. And especially in my, my specialty area of pediatrics, we need to know that. Everyone needs to know about human trafficking. But again, that, that mandatory reporter component, we all failed at that facility, every single one of us. And so hence the birth of Nurses United Against Human Trafficking. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and, and you know, uh, and um, you you have created uh, uh, learning modules, uh, and thank you for giving me access to those. Uh, and um, from a, um, want to kind of step back as far as like the role of nursing in human trafficking. It's not something we really discuss 
I, I mean, when, when you reached out to me, I'm like, I don't think I've ever read anything on human trafficking. Like my knowledge, and I've shared this with you before, is really from probably like CNN special topics on human trafficking or something I see on the news that like during big events like Super Bowls or things like that, where the topic of human trafficking comes up. But I never, I don't remember like ever like any, any of our texts or any of our special courses really talking about human trafficking at all. Uh, and um, uh, Dr. Bonaneri, I'll, I'll default to you. Uh, first on, on this question is where where is nursing when it comes to human trafficking other than the two of you that are doing this work? Where is nursing now and where do we need to be? as we move forward. Absolutely, and thank you so much for asking that. We are failing as a profession. We are failing this population. There have been numerous studies that have shown that upwards of 90% of survivors of human trafficking were seen by a healthcare practitioner during their captivity and were missed. And this actually really is what gave us the impetus to do the research that we did. You know, I would speak to some of my peers in academia and particularly those in OB, GYN, pediatrics, again, because that's really my, my, my niche. And so I said, you know, how much exactly are you teaching on human trafficking? And they're like, maybe a slide or two in one lesson. And I said, all right, obviously this is not transferable. So we need to do a nationwide study. And so we were very, very fortunate to gain access to the NSNA, which is the National Student Nurses Association, which is that national uh, membership that offers to all student nurses that they can become members of this national association. And so gaining access to this population, Tammy and I developed a survey. So it's a, a tool that we developed. The Chromebacks Alpha was 0.828, which is incredibly reliable and valid. And so we had sent it out to the membership that met the criteria that they were RN nursing students. So that was either diploma, associate degree, or baccalaureate degree students, or those who had graduated within a year of our survey being sent out because we figured that they would still have some recollection. We specifically focused on RNs because of their scope of practice and that assessment piece, as opposed to an LPN or LBN, which again are highly valuable, but they, they don't have that assessment piece in their scope of practice. And so we actually had very, very nice distribution and representation from across the country. The only states that we were missing respondents from were from Maine, Wyoming, and the District of Columbia. You can imagine that was kind of shocking. But we had a total N of 644, and over 91% reported minimal to no human trafficking content taught in wow. undergraduate curricula. In addition, we did a perceived sum score of their knowledge. And it was about 80% who had said some to no knowledge with, I don't even, I think there were just like maybe a handful who had responded full knowledge. And when we looked at level of confidence in identifying those, those signs and symptoms, those red flags, we had less than 1% having full confidence in being able to do it. It's not being taught in undergraduate curricula. So they're coming out of nursing school as our colleagues now who are becoming licensed and 
they're missing them because there's so much diagnostic overshadowing, Ollie. And another thing is we know that they're not getting in an undergraduate curricula because we did the study. But there are only about eight states that actually mandate continuing education on anti-human trafficking for healthcare professionals. So if they're not living in those eight states, they're not getting it at all. And another problem when we you know, add them all up, it really is compounding into a huge problem. Not all trainings are the same and not all trainings are vetted. Texas is the only one currently who vets the trainings that will satisfy that continuing education requirement for healthcare professionals. So even though a training may occur, you know, they have that paper compliance. Oh, yes, I got my two hours of continuing education on human trafficking. They're still missing it. They're still missing it. And it is a massive problem because human trafficking has been reported in all 50 states and U.S. territories. I forget about globally. I mean, there are approximately it's estimated about there are 50 million people in bondage today. And human trafficking is one of the fastest growing criminal enterprises, grossing annually $150 billion a year. And to give you the a kind of an idea of what that value is, that's actually more than Nike, Starbucks, McDonald's, Target, and Uber combined. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Um, it's a huge problem. Huge problem. Um, Tammy, same question for you. Uh, what do you think nursing needs to do uh, as we move forward? Uh, as uh, Dr. Bonaneri mentioned, there's only eight states that are mandating. And looking at my own, I, I, I'm, I, I'd like to say I at least hit, uh, uh, try to hit like three or, or four conferences a year. Um, but again, never has this subject come up. I don't see it in poster presentations. I don't see it on any of the keynotes or general sessions. Um, what do you think uh, nursing needs to do uh, in order to really step up? And not just from an education perspective, but also on the service side, where we're actually providing the care. What do institutions need to do in order to make sure that um, to close the gap? Well, the American Nurses Association in 2019 adopted all of my resolutions and they even introduced an emergency resolution to form a national task force to look at the issue. Uh, since those have been in, uh, adopted, we've not had one meeting, uh, nor have any of the resolutions been enacted. The resolutions included protocols in all 50 states and US territories. They included screening and a comprehensive training initiative looking at the trauma-focused care because the standard of care for someone like me who went through complex trauma at the extent of a war veteran is much different. The way that you come at us at the bedside, the way that you assess us, it's different. The, the way that we react to trauma, to the multiple traumatic insults and the neurobiology of the brain, the way that we cope, how do we cope? How do you express uh, when you've been horribly victimized? It's through behavior, it's through eating disorders, it's through substance use disorders, those things. So we are crying out, but you aren't hearing our cries. We are coming into your emergency departments we are coming in as teenage pregnancies. We are coming in with sexually transmitted infections. We are coming into your clinics and you are not identifying us. You are not helping us to escape 
the, the sexual slavery and the bondage that we are in. You are failing an entire population of individuals and adding on to the complex trauma. And we must care because gross healthcare expenditures are expected to be in the $5.6 trillion range. So the downstream effects of child maltreatment, which is what child rape is and human trafficking of children, it, it's $428 billion annually spent for child maltreatment. Then you com compound and add to that the current mental health crisis that we find ourselves in today. When you look at the emergency departments that are already overwhelmed and you have people accessing care for the somatic complaints which go along with human trafficking. If you understand this, if you recognize this and you treat us appropriately as I do with my work with survivors on the ranch, then they can move into that thriver category. The uh, massive Baker Acts and the burden to our uh, mental health institutions decreases and the subsequent uh, financial burden an economic uh, impact uh, that is negatively affecting the uh, economy because we can drain the economy instead of contributing to it uh, as uh, uh, survivors in so many ways, but when you give us the tools, when you give us Maslow's basic hierarchy of needs, when you give us environments to thrive and process that trauma, then we do, we do thrive. Great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, um, as we're talking, I, I feel like I miss I missed a, a key point here, and maybe our audience would benefit. Well, well, not maybe they will benefit from this. Is um, uh, who is the population that is being trafficked? Because it's not. I mean, yes, it, it, there is a component of pediatrics that makes us part of the mandated reporting piece. But it's not just pediatrics; it's it's a larger population than that. Um, so if you can uh, let us know, and we'll I'll I'll skip back to uh, Tammy again. If you can give us a um, an idea of who the population is that is being sex trafficked, uh, just because it, from from when I was looking at the modules, it's it's more common uh, than than it's and easily missed if you're not looking for it, right? If you're not if you don't have it actively in your brain, it's very easily missed. So if you can give us an idea of who the population is, um, and that would be that would be fantastic. Absolutely. It's it's anyone, whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you're black or white, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, whomever you are, then you're vulnerable if you're missing certain things. If you need your, your survival needs met, like our LGBTQI2S population um, who uh, have gender identity issues, who are struggling uh, with places to sleep because once they come out, then they are forced to couch surf. And that opens them up to predatory, you know, to predatory uh, behavior, to predators coming at them. Um, our youth that are aging out of our juvenile justice systems, those are at higher risk. Anyone with a childhood sexual assault, anyone who is had had pre-existing trauma that's looking to have a void uh, filled, and they're looking for love in all the wrong places, or a sense of belonging that can open them up. And then when you add in the social media and technology component, the digital dating, and all these other risk factors. You, you lock your doors and you say, don't talk to strangers, but you give your child a cell phone at age eight, you bring it into their, their bedroom. So you just basically uh, put a predator into their bedroom, whether it's through the gaming app 
or the, the social media apps, they are accessing our children. And they've moved into these virtual street corners, but anyone is at risk, even, even the, the affluent neighborhoods. Um, there's been individuals trafficked out of affluent neighborhoods, out of, of uh, homes of religious leaders and such. So it's really that individual that's missing something and the amount of sextortion that's going on and our children sending these images and being blackmailed and then taking their own life is extraordinary. And we know that suicide is the second leading cause of death in people ages 10 to 34, according to the CDC. And we really have to understand that in that population of our of our youth suicides, there are the hidden victims of human trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation and uh, with that youth suicide component. So anyone, you know, they, they give the age of anyone from like 14 to, to, to 18 or, but really it, it's anyone. I've had 30 something year olds I've worked with. I've had 10 year olds that have been trafficked. And then of course we have labor trafficking. We have nurses who are victims of labor trafficking, Filipino nurses even. So there's this uh, dynamic of who's involved depending on what type of trafficking. So we really have to look at the grooming, the ways that they groom, the ways that they exploit and manipulate and romance their victims you know, to try to gain access uh, to that uh, individual. Yeah, thank you. Um, Dr. Bonaneri, uh, something that um, Tammy mentioned and something I read in one of the modules was uh, that whole social media piece and the um, and having access to phones. I have two young ones myself who, uh, and, uh, who, who ended up with phones a little earlier than I wanted wanted them to, uh, but it was right pre-pandemic, and actually I think it was a lifesaver during the pandemic because they managed to keep in touch with friends and socialize. Uh, but it is a, it is an issue, and I'm very uh, um, cognizant of the fact uh, that they have access uh, to things, and we talk about it all the time. And I like to think they are responsible individuals, but from a as I'm sure some parents are listening to this, uh, what how, what do we do in order to create a safer environment? I don't think we could always create a completely safe environment for our kids, but how do we create a safer environment while they do have access, so much more access than when I grew up uh, to to uh, to places where I before I had to physically go to the library to check out something or had to go to the videos. Now everything's on their phone. So how do we create an environment where, um, or how, what do we need, what kind of discussions do we need to have with the kids in order to, so they are more prepared when that sexual predator um, kind of comes in through their devices? Mm -hmm. Great question. Great question. And, and that definitely is a multi-pronged approach. Um, first and foremost, parents need to be cognizant of their children's presence online. I mean, there were studies that were done that I think upwards of 60 to 70% of parents are unaware of their children's online presence. And they were unaware of these predatory sites, even Roblox and Minecraft. I mean, and you're thinking, wow, this is just an innocent kind of game. But anywhere kids are, predators will be lurking. 
Um, another thing that needs to be done is conversations need to be had with the kids. You need to be open with the children there and it needs to be reciprocal. Kids need to speak to their parents about what they're doing online, what they're accessing, what apps they have. Parents likewise need to inform. They need to be informed first. They need to educate themselves and recognize all of the risks that come with being online and on these social media platforms. We also, you know, I mean, listen, this is an uphill battle because as you said, once COVID hit, we completely transitioned to these digital forms of communication. It was our lifeline. It was how we maintained that interactivity, that human connectedness. But what happened is these predators actually are harnessing this. And so those geographical boundaries no longer exist. We actually have sextortion cases here in this country where the perpetrators are coming from Africa. So there are no more borders, boundaries that can't be crossed. It is just open access to anyone and everyone who has a device. You know, there is that peer pressure component where you have these kids that saying, oh, but Johnny has it and Letitia has it. And so, you know, you have this, it's again, it's an uphill battle. So there can be those parents who make packs that, okay, you know, these group of friends that are tight or whatever, let's just all take this vow and say no social media or moderate social media. Again, limiting access to social media, putting a time frame on the amount that can be spent on social media. There are parental controls that can be put into place. Granted, it can be very difficult to maneuver and navigate that. Uh, I believe that some of the companies are actually making it a little bit easier to go in and put those, those parental controls in place. But that's another mechanism of maintaining the kids' safety. You know, bottom line is the kids are really active on it. I think 95% of teens are saying that they're on it constantly. I mean, they're, it's becoming an addiction. I shouldn't even say it's becoming, it has become an addiction. And so it really is an uphill battle, but just having open forms of communication, those open lines of discussion, being properly informed as parents, recognizing the online risks and, and just having those safeguards in place with parental controls put in. I mean, bottom line, the easiest thing to do would not to grant them access, but again, we recognize that there is a lot of peer pressure, but there are companies who make phones that are only used for communication, text, phone calls, no internet capability, no social media capability, and they look literally like a smartphone. So there are different options. It's a matter of working with the kids and coming to this mutual agreement. Great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, just for the record, my kids are not on any social media stuff, but 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 it is a concern, but they do some gaming stuff on there, which mm -hmm. I'm very cognizant of who's connected with them. And so there are, there are things in place, uh, but again, that concern still remains because you never know what new thing is out there. So make, making sure that we're staying educated as to how our kids and, you know, staying 
uh, connected with our kids are also important. Yes, um, and I'll also say that there actually are mechanisms and devices that actually will disguise and alter the voice. So you actually can have an adult, but once they use this device, they actually sound like, a, you know, a tween, a teen. And so there's a lot of deception that goes on. So even though they sound like, oh, it's just, you know, it's a 12 year old, it actually could be a 40 year old predator. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's all very disturbing, but yeah, I, I agree. It's uh, like the, how you have to uh, stay again. It's, I think it's just staying engaged. I think is, is one of the key things. Um, Tammy, uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, with your experience, um, uh, you know, uh, in the emergency room, um, who is, uh, what are, what I'll start with this question, uh, how, what, or what do nurses need to do in order to be more in more cognizant of the patient population coming in? What do they, because I was looking at one of the modules and, and, and there's so much assessment components uh, that goes along with this. I'm like, I could have very well have seen this stuff in the emergency room and never even thought twice about it. Uh, so uh, there are a lot of very uh, various nuances that we have to be aware of uh, from a nurse. So uh, as a nurse that's looking at this show, what are some of the first steps I can take in order to make sure my assessments are uh, are 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 honing in on something like uh, like this, like sex sex trafficking? Well, you need to go to Nurses United Against Human Trafficking and take our comprehensive training curriculum, because that is why we built that. The days of a no training or the days of a two hour training on human trafficking are over. It's not good enough. There are so many nuances that you are not seeing. And in my 30 years, I can go back and tell you every one I missed coming from this side of it. And that is what empowers me today. Because just like someone comes in with chest pain and you exclude certain things and you run certain tests to, to walk yourself back from them having a myocardial infarction. You need to do the same thing with human trafficking. You need to assume everybody coming in that door with certain diagnoses, with certain high risk criteria is a victim of human trafficking and then walk yourself out of that. Like take, we've, we have developed a targeted healthcare response, a screening tool. We have developed a systematic approach to, to, to implement into institutions to go along with our uh, accredited um, nine hours of training that's housed in this interactive learning management system. It can be inter, you know, interfaced into curriculum, but that is why, and, and, 50% of the membership fees go directly to a 501c3 nonprofit, which in full disclosure is my nonprofit, which is why I came off the board. It goes uh, of Nurses United and, and Dr. Bonaneri is running it because I'm more in the survivor service and the wraparound services in the legislative uh, kind of realm. And so we, we've got these um, things that are, are being put into place that, that will help. So by supporting the memberships, by getting in there and being properly educated, that's the first step because when you take our training, just as you said yourself, you realize 
that you have no idea that you thought you knew because you saw something or heard someone's training. But unless you've been trained comprehensively with our training curriculum or uh, some of the ones vetted by Texas, because we really like the gold standard that Texas has put in place, um, then you are, are not being trained appropriately. You know, Dignity Health, Heal Trafficking, there are many that do a good, good, robust training. But unless you take those, just like the American Heart Association is the only game in town when it goes to training on ACLS and PALS and BLS, well, there's a reason for that. And that is why we built this training curriculum because nothing else is acceptable. We are not mandatory reporting. We are ethically and morally bound to do so. And we are keeping eight-year-olds, seven-year-olds, infants into an environment where they are being raped and harmed every single day. And every day when you are being victimized like that, it is a day too many. You have to get out because how do you end it? You take your life or you take the life of your perpetrator, but you have to get out of that. And I need the army of nurses. I am coming to you now as a child. I'm coming to you as someone who suffered greatly. Please wake up profession and get involved, get educated, and let's get protocols and screening in all 50 states and U.S. territories because enough is enough and this is the year to act. Great, thank you, um, Dr. Bonaneri. Um, you're uh, you're involved in uh, various nursing organizations um, and leadership roles. Um, from a nursing organization perspective, uh, because uh, as Tammy mentioned, the ANA uh, adopted some standards, but like nothing ever happened with them. From a nursing organization perspective, what can nursing organizations do in order to push, for example, policies? Because a lot of them are policy-based. Uh, from a policy perspective, what can nursing organizations do in order to be uh, the, the change agent in the, on this topic? Absolutely. So first and foremost, they need to ensure that their membership has access to proper training. Uh, I can tell you that with ANA New York, uh, when I was on the board, we actually had Tammy speak. She came up. So she already did the ANA Membership Assembly National in Washington, D.C. We were so I can't even put into words how mesmerized all of us were listening to her story and listening to that presentation. Ali, you could have heard a pin drop and there were hundreds, if not thousands of us at membership assembly. It was very powerful. So we actually had her come specifically to our annual conference and speak. So I know that we educated those nurses from ANA New York um, position statements can be put out through organizations. Organizations need to really recognize that their voice is very prominent. There is power in numbers. And so when you have that kind of volume of members that are uniting, putting their voices together so that they can be heard, it's very, very powerful. There are advocacy efforts that can take place. Again, you know, going, calling your, your elected officials, 
raising that awareness, bringing it into your facilities. And again, this can be disseminated through that organization and at that organizational level. I can tell you that being with the Long Island chapter of the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners, I certainly brought this education into our membership for our chapter. I just went down to NAPNAP uh, National in Florida, just uh, what was it back in March, I think that we had our conference. And again, anyone that I spoke to, I was speaking, I had missed the uh, submission, because I actually wanted to submit to be a speaker on it. But uh, I'm planning on doing that for next year. <laughs> but again, just anyone just speaking about it and say, hey, just start the conversation. What is your familiarity with human trafficking? So again, you know, you can take it at that organizational level and filter it down and disseminate it to your membership, have those position statements, or as nurses, just one-on-one, -on -one, you know, because you have that awareness now, just starting to speak to it and just, just start that conversation at a, at a professional development conference. Hey, you know, are you familiar with human trafficking? I had this experience and, you know, a lot of people when I, discuss my my situation what had happened to me and with that that 16 year old and, and with my students I mean I think that most people could relate to that it might not have been in that exact realm where they were a clinical instructor but you know you start speaking about it and people all of a sudden will start to connect the dots and say wow you know I actually had someone who came in as a near overdose who was suicidal I didn't even think of human trafficking. And there was this very controlling woman who was there because not traffic, not all traffickers are male. There's that very stereotypical kind of profile. It can be a female trafficker as well. So, you know, it's, there is no prejudice or bias as to who gets recruited into the life. Yeah. I, and I appreciate that. And, and you mentioned something and it's always, I have Whenever I think about sex trafficking, my brain automatically goes to someone who is brought from overseas into the U.S. or people from the U.S. going overseas. Uh, but it's it can be a, a family member, it can be a neighbor, it could be somebody at your child's school. So so there's a whole like like it's everybody, every any anybody can can be a victim of this. Um, so thank you so much. Uh, I want to be cognizant of our time. Uh, I want to give you both uh, uh, one one last uh, any of anything you want to you want to share in order to I think this is an important topic. As you mentioned, the module that that you you have created is a nine hour module, so we're trying to shove a lot of information into this short uh, uh, broadcast. But um, I want to give you an opportunity to uh, put a plug in for your organization and uh, sort of a, a last word. Uh, we'll start with Dr. Bonner. Thank you. Yes, it is imperative that you go out and seek our training, Nurses United Against Human Trafficking. Our website is located at www.nuaht.org. Our learning management system is www.nursesunitedagainsthumantrafficking.org become educated, equipped, and empowered, because believe me, you're seeing them. They are in front of you, but you are missing them because of the very hidden nature of human trafficking. You know, these victims do not self-identify as victims, nor do they always disclose. And so 
please empower yourself with this information because you are missing them. And if they are under 18, you are failing as a mandatory reporter. Great. Thank you so much. And just uh, before we get to Tammy, I want to make sure uh, uh, I will have the links of uh, of the website uh, for you uh, in, in the description uh, on the YouTube channel uh, and the website. So please make sure you uh, click on those. Um, Tammy? Um, I have a Reflective Spaces a Ministry. It is a nonprofit. You'll have, I know the links up. And that, when you give to that, even if it's $5, anything, it goes directly to our on the ground efforts to work with survivors, to give them gas cars. We have our food pantry, we have so many things. And it also helps us support our advocacy efforts uh, in, in uh, getting our voice heard in, in Congress. Um, there's several key pieces of legislation that are out there right now before uh, the 118th Congress. There is the Earn It Act. There is the Protect Kids on Social Media Act. There's so many key pieces of legislation now that we really need to rein in big tech. Realize this is not a technology issue, but it is a public policy issue. And we need to put safeguards in place, much like we put seatbelts in cars, we have to put a seatbelt on the internet and, and, and on these social media uh, platforms. And that's, uh, that's the words that uh, uh, I have uh, last to say. Thank you so much for, for bringing attention uh, to this. There also are resources on our website there that for parents, there's resources for educators, nursing, everyone that they're free, they're downloadable. So you can go to our website and find those and hotline phone numbers as well. Great. I appreciate you both uh, for doing this. Uh, I mean, it's uh, and thank you for educating me because uh, there's there's just so much information and I'm like, I had no idea. And I'm grateful that we have nurses in this arena that are that are uh, spearheading, um, educating our, 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 our workforce. Um, so we are better advocates and better protectors. Um, so I appreciate that. Uh, we have been uh, listening to and uh, uh, just having discussions with Tammy, uh, Tony Butler, and Dr. Francine Bononeri. Thank you both for being here. Again, I will have links to all of the resources for you uh, in the des description on the YouTube channel uh, and on the website. So thank you so much for joining us, and we will uh, continue to bring you more incredible uh, uh, content as we go forward. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the RN Mentor with your host, Ali Taya. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayeb.com. That's www.aliartayeb.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.